down with the music behind the music you will be inspired to think higher realize your gift join the muses and share turn us up and through your speakers is the music music it is the muses behind the music and you are listening to the voice of your host, Michelle Fallon. Y'all, you already know how excited I am about this show, where I have my brother, Dr. Michael, Mikey Fallon. Yo, Mike, is that what yeah. you're talking about? Mikey? Mikey. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so. Glad to know that the spelling always threw me off. I meant to ask you that years ago when I saw that. So I, I really do want to like jump right into this because I've got my brother who is um, not only a psychologist by degree, by trade, by life. I, I mean, really and truly um, all, all of my life that I can remember, he has always been trying to help this sister put this stuff, I just pointed to my head, together. And um, he's also an actor. We started out acting together, just like we did music, right? So, um, you know, I always talk about dad and mom and, and dad and mom's influences. And I want to jump into this music thing real quick because, you know, you used to play instruments. And then mm -hmm. I want you to tell us why you stopped because according to mom and dad it was based off of the fact that you know they said you felt that i was you know outrunning you in the music well it's okay so it's a little more complex than that so i i played the piano that was my first instrument like all of us and then i played the clarinet and then i went to the the saxophone uh and i went to the i think it was either the tenor sax or alto i think the tenor sax i went to and then but for me the piano part i stopped because i felt like it was one of those unconscious things in our family where we didn't talk about it but we all carved out wherever our niche was mm -hmm. you know and and not so much including joy joy grew up in a separate home the little sister you know grew up in a separate home than the rest of us you know being for me 11 and a half years younger than me because mm -hmm. you grew up in such a separate existence so really the three of us who were growing up in the house there you know where roy was the athlete in baseball very talented in that and in academics he was natural in that he didn't have to put much effort in to do well you were at a very early age a singer and a pianist and and i was the in performance artist the hmm? end Right, right. And and also the performance artist part where that's what I excelled in. And it was just a way that I, I just didn't like for me, I didn't want to have a comparison or competing with with you musically. I mean, you were just you were a phenom. So it wasn't it wasn't even a, the same way you did with music is the same way being on stage made sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny because, um, you know, we all were in these different um drama groups dad used to do some of the dramas and we were a part of that i think that was the the formative introduction to things and then being involved in uh church uh drama 
clubs or whatever they would call mm. them. But these things would take us out state all over the country to go and perform. And then in high school, yo, I pulled up this picture of when I was doing, do you remember that that movie thing that we did at high school and I was Kip the Palace Gremlin? No. <laughs> yo, I remember other things in your life, but nothing that insignificant. I remember you getting stuck with someone's thumbtack on your butt. <laughs> what are we talking about, Kip the Palace? I swear you don't mean that. Wow. Oh, yeah. No. Okay, whatever. I was Kip the Palace Gremlin, and they did this movie, and it really, it, it, they, I, listen, it was fun. I saw a picture of it. I meant to like pull out the picture and just take a picture of it and send it to you. Like, yo, do you remember this? But that was like, that was a highlight for me, but that was also my clue, like Michelle acting. <laughs> you just <That's> that. <laughs> yeah. wait, how wait, how old were you when that whole thing happened? I don't remember. I that. don't even remember um how old I was, but um it might have been like freshman year of high I don't even remember. Okay. I mean, it was just funny to to like see that. And I remember the song. This album, I don't know why I remember this song. The mm. song was stupid, but it was uh, God forbid the guy who wrote this thing, I don't even remember his name, you know, that he might be watching today. It was a great song, sir. But it was <laughs> just, it was just different. Anyway, I was um going through some stuff. And you do you remember a time when you used to um write us uh as gifts? You would write us letters, the whole family, individually. You would set yeah. up and write us a letter. In in 97, I keep every single letter that you know anybody ever sends me, even if it's not so great, I still keep it um, because it's a part of my journey and it's a part of the growth right. I've experienced from it. And I love this letter so much, dude. I, I loved it so much. By the way, I think you've kind of gotten a little bit lazy in that. Like you haven't really given us any letters lately. I'm telling you, you're right. I definitely <laughs> have not written. It takes a lot of energy. You know, you didn't realize how much energy it takes a lot of energy because it's never just a letter that I'm writing, uh, you know, Merry Christmas or happy birthday, but it always, you know, my letters always go deeper and, right. you know, and talking about things and that I'm observing in the world. Yeah. Totally, totally. And I get that focus because if I'm just sitting down, like I was sitting down trying to write Elijah a letter and I must have erased so many things because it, it does take the thought. Like it's it's very intimate. It's very involved. And so you can't just rush something like that. By the way, Katie Muller, you remember um, Kip the Palace Gremlin. She made a quote on it. His master. <laughs> I guess it was for real. It wasn't one of your other little imagination fantasy world things. Michael, right. we talked about this. Mike, we talked about the things that you can't really say. <laughs> anyway, you send me this letter and you write this letter about um, photography. You were really into photography. Mm. At one point you had a dark room and you're talking about um, the process of developing the pictures. And um, at the end uh, of it, you wrote, I suppose I say all of this to say what I appreciate most about you. You've been exposed to light, but are in continual development. 
And like that forever has resonated with me because um, I know I know that I have done a lot of changing. I've done a lot of growing and I still have a lot more to go. But um, for you to see it, because you've always been my muse. You've always been my hero, my best friend, my confidant, the person who gets on my nerves, but sometimes you may not even know because I just forgive you because I love you so very much. But <clears throat> this last part here, you said, you're beautiful like the movement of clouds, changing days into night, into storms, into warmth. Let this beauty be God's mirror. And so I always say, I want people when they experience me to make sure that they are experiencing God. Mm. Love, healing, power. I don't want you to come in contact with me and not do that. What do you, when you are coming in with, um, you know, meeting people, because you really primarily focus this gifting that you have in acting with young people, what do you want them to walk away Yo, okay, for real, right? So, and for those you don't know, we barely just went over a little bit about what we're going to do today. I didn't want to give answers and and to process this. And so with you just saying that, I've got to tell you what recently I've been talking about, especially towards the end, whether kids or adults. So last year during the pandemic, landscapers come over to come out to the house the guy, Bob, who owns the company, he's just like, hey, what do you want to do with this, you know, the flower bed right outside the house? And I'm mm -hmm. like, not much. I, you, know, you know, me with, you know, even like growing up the lawn, I was like, why don't you put some rocks down there? You know, so I didn't have to mow the lawn. And so oh. I was saying to the guy, what he's like, we can lay down some river rocks. And I was like, OK, what do I have to do? And he's like, nothing. They look pretty against the stone of your house. Yo, sis, I was like. Yo, yes, 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 nothing, lazy, perfect, you know, let's do it. Throws down these river rocks, and then I come back home before they finish the job. Joanne, you know, girlfriend was at the house, and, and uh, she says to me, you missed them. They just, they wanted to wait around, but they had to go. And they said, don't forget, you have to water the rocks every other day. And I was like, hold on, I, that's not the deal. Bob said I had to do nothing. And I was like, why would I have to water river rocks? Right. And, and then, she, you know, she was like, they are river rocks. And I don't know if you ever broke down words sometimes. You don't realize the obvious nature of it. But river rocks, she's like, they need water. And I was like, okay. So I started watering these rocks every other day. Two weeks into it, car driving by. People in the car start laughing at me watering my rocks. I feel like a clown. I finished watering the rocks. I go back inside. I pick up the phone. I call Joanne. I'm just like, yo, baby, I feel so stupid right now. I was outside watering the rocks. And, you know, these people are laughing at me. And she was like, she starts laughing. And, you know, Joanne, for those of you who don't know, she has an English accent, you know, from Manchester. And so she's like, you know, why are you watering the river rocks? And, and I was like, that's what you told me. They told you to tell me. And she was just like, I was only joking. <laughs> so, so she says this right but check this out this is the part where you were just talking about what you do and what i said to you in that thing i still go back out and i water the rocks because the coolest thing happens river rocks when they're dry they actually they absolutely do not look pretty against the stones in my house but when you water rocks they're like all these colors inside the rocks mm. that you can't see until the water 
hits them, right? Yeah. And they start shining, they start sparkling, and it's absolutely beautiful. And so I started looking at that. That's my metaphor. That when I have a conversation with a student in a school or an adult, or I'm sitting at a bar, or I'm hanging out with family like we did, you know, just, just hanging out. I want that moment to be a part where somebody is able to reflect because of something I'm saying to make their better self shine. Yeah. You know? That's Ooh. that's it. That's what that's what I feel is that mission and that that purpose that I want really to be not only in some ways the person that's providing the water, but I know it's not coming from me. That those colors are already inside that person. Oh, that gave me goosebumps. Oh, that was good. Like that's that's a sermon right there. You know, that's that's church. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's that's so powerful and so beautiful. And I believe somebody needs to hear that you have been so incredibly impactful into people's lives through this artistry, this gift of acting. <clears throat> I want you to take us back a little bit to um, why you decided to go into psychology versus just head on into drama. Like just hope like that. That wasn't even the two choices really. So before my junior year of high school, it was that I was going to be an astronaut, right? That was, I don't know if you remember that. Ooh. I was, yeah. So I was heading to be an astronaut. And I don't know if you remember why. So I was eight, eight years old. We were living in Waltham. Mm -hmm. And I remember one night, dad is like there. And for whatever reason, the garbage was picked up towards the evening time at that period. And dad had said to me at the table, the, the dining room table, he said, son, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do when you grow up? And I heard the garbage truck and I was like, is he talking about that? And I was just like, I want to be, <laughs> I kid you not. I was like, I'm going to be a garbage oh, man, dad. <laughs> Yo, you can imagine dad's, you can imagine dad's reaction, right? Oh, dad, was just, dad was like, oh, wrong answer, son. Wrong answer. <laughs> I was like, okay, an astronaut. Garbage man, astronaut. Those are the two choices. <laughs> right. Eight years old. That's what I said. I'm going to be an astronaut. Dad held me to that decision. And we know dad. Mm -hmm. Dad does not let go of this, this story. So that part he held to me, held on to me that that's what my son is going to be. He's going to be an astronaut. You know, I took German in high school and middle school and high school. I remember. Based on the fact that dad said, uh, that's what astronauts know. They know German. <laughs> we don't. We don't know where he got his information. <laughs> Who knows where Dad gets any of his information, right? <laughs> but so my, that until my sophomore year, and then my junior year of high school, I took a psychology class with Mrs. Tulp. Best, best teachers, man. Awesome woman. Awesome. Yes. One of my heart songs. One of my definite influencers in my life. Mm -hmm. And. You know, I take this psychology class. Two things happen in that class. One is that we watched a movie, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm -hmm. And when I saw the mistreatment of those who had a mental illness by the rest of society and the world and hospitals and the medical field, I remember crying in that class and just feeling like, this is not right. I have to do something. I want to help people who have been stigmatized with this label of being mentally ill wow. and then how people were rejected. And that was the one part. Then the second part that happened was then I started reading more 
And I was in the library and at the high school and I pulled out a psychology book. And then this was what turned me that I'm gonna be a psychologist. They said, if you, there was a study that was done where the subjects drank eight gallons of water in 24 hours. Mm. Now, not only do you pee the whole time, right. but it alters the pH levels in your brain and you become intoxicated. Yeah. Right. You're drunk. Right. And so here I am, my junior year, you know, 17 years old. I'm like, I could get drunk from water. Michael, like, <laughs> could you not? No, I know you're not kidding. But other people are probably like, what the? <laughs> so I knew then I'm going to be a psychologist. If I could find out fun facts like that. <laughs> All right. You know, so no, that, it's what you do with the fun facts that matter. Like you don't, you know. Anyway, I, I, I just, I didn't know that about the astronaut. Yeah. I didn't remember that. You know, mm-hmm. I do remember Dad always talking about, you know, if you want to be a garbage man, you be be the best garbage man that's out there. And maybe that's because the garbage truck was going by during your story that had happened. Mm-hmm. Stuck with him or something, but um, this infusion. Then, so you go to Rutgers. No, you go to Evangel first, right? Why Evangel? Yeah, so Evangel is a school out in Springfield, Missouri, small Christian liberal arts school, and and we were so involved in the Assembly of God, uh, that sect of the religion, that when I was looking for colleges, I think I wanted to. At that time in my life, I wanted to be in a Christian school, a very strong Christian school, not just by name only, but really this passionate faith-based place. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I applied to Evangel, they ended up sending me a scholarship before they send me an acceptance letter. And, you know, growing up, I was just like, okay, that's a sign from God, you know, that this must be where I have to be. And, and, you know, like I look back now, I'm very thankful for that experience. The people that I met, the education I have, the friends that I have, you know, uh, I wouldn't have Saskia if I hadn't gone, you know, had I not gone there, you know, all these things that connected to it. Uh, And so I'm grateful for that experience, you know, going that undergrad from to there. Mm-hmm. And then you go to Rutgers and yep. um, Rutgers, was that like the space that you were able to really pull on the acting all the more or did it happen at Evangel? Started at Evangel. Yeah, I had this amazing teacher, David Smith. He was just, you know, we all have our muses, as you talk yeah. about, right? We have these people, though, that really just shake our world so profoundly and make us see whatever artistry we have in a different light. That was David Smith. I remember one class he had us, we were doing uh, King Lear and we're doing the scene work and he wanted us in the class to go over just these two words. It was Peace Kent. Kent was a character in there. You know, just like saying Peace Kent. And we're all kind of doing it the same way. We're like, He's Kent. He's Kent. And, you know, he's getting mad. He's just like, think about it. He's just like really getting frustrated. And then all he did at one point was that he's like, sometimes when you're really upset, you don't have to yell. You just clench your teeth and say, peace, Kent. 
Ooh. And it just when he said that, it was just like, wow, you know, there was this whole yeah. thing that there was something that opened up inside of me that I use when I'm performing, that I will have characters at times where I am laughing, but you know the mood is not humor. Yeah. Know? Yeah, and, and I'm 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 bringing across these parts when I'm performing. But yeah, he was a big influence on me uh, in the acting world. But when I got to grad school in psychology, you know, you had a lot of serious people in the field, mm -hmm. and they weren't happy with me really doing performance art. You know, they weren't happy with me going on a Wednesday night to do open mic poetry. You know, they 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 were you know the dean of the school was like, you don't seem very serious about the program. You know, the other students here, they want to be psychologists. That's all they ever want to do. That's what they want to be. You seem kind of torn between two worlds. I'm not sure this is the school for you. Mm. I remember how crushed, upset, but it also inspired me. I'm not, you're not going to make me quit. Right. You know, I'm, you know I, I'm my father's son. You're not going to make me quit. Was what I, you know, I said, I, I'm going to I'm going to finish this. And the irony is that, you know, once I became successful with it, you know, who's ringing my phone is the same guy. Can you donate to the school? Wow. Yeah. 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 No, <laughs> those things always. <laughs> come you? Yeah. I, right. Hey, I love this. You said I'm my father's son. You know, mm -hmm. I, when I hear that growing up in the same household, <laughs> we could have very different um, perspectives on that statement. What does that say? What does that mean to you? I'm my father's son. Yeah. So with, with dad, dad is an interesting being, you know, he really is. A, I, I sometimes share this in my pr presentations that my dad's birth story tells you what you need to know about him. And I don't know if you know dad's birth story. You, you know, I'm sure you heard his birth story where he he talks about he was a twin mm -hmm. uh, and his sister came out before him, but she was stillborn. Mm -hmm. And the doctors did not know that he was a twin. And before that, doing a post-op with, with uh, our grandmother, dad's hand comes flying out with his, his fingers spread apart. And to me, it's a symbol of who dad is. Wow, no, like, I didn't know that part of it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So dad, dad will never be silenced. That he will, you are not going to shut him down, close him in, and wipe your hands and walk away. And so when I say I'm my father's son, the one thing about dad, all his faults and stuff is that he knows his true north. He yeah. knows like his thing of like, you're not going to make dad compromise something that he feels is wrong, you know, internally for him. Yeah. And and so that part has been something that stuck with me on that level. Wow. Yeah. I'm just uh I, I can say that about myself too, but I think I take more of the negative edge of that. I'm just being 100, y'all. I, I think I take more of the negative edge on that because I am fiercely about like, oh, ain't nobody going to stop me. There ain't nothing that you can, you can try it, but it ain't going to happen. Like it's, it's that you've learned though. I've watched you. I've, I've watched you learn how to approach that differently and approach people. And I almost think it's it's that foundation of being the psychologist that you you think about people's mindset and how to approach them. Yes. Yeah. Sir. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't. And I want to. I want I want to. I, I'm getting better. 
I'm so far away from being good though. And all I can do is I, it's going to get there eventually, but you know, I, and maybe, and maybe not right. Maybe it is, but you, uh, but maybe you and you, I would describe as you're also, you know, you are your father's child too. And you know, the combination of mom for sure influenced mm -hmm. my life big time. But, uh, and what I mean for you though, is, is that part where, you have your rough edges, but you tell your truth. You're not afraid to show those flaws where there's been parts of me because I always had trouble fitting in and making sense of this world where at times I don't want to be come off to be too weird or strange. So I'll hide some of that. Mm. You're bold. You are you, you know, and that comes with the prick prickles on it, too. But you are you. And that is that is part of dad, you know, and that's why sometimes you and dad will butt heads. <laughs> night, but, night, but night. I, <laughs> but I got to tell, you know, I got to tell the audience, like, listen, you're the only I may be the one able to calm dad down. That's my role. I, I certainly yes. know how to speak to dad in a way that no one else can to calm him down. But you're also the one who knows how to put dad in his place that you need. You know, you're the only one I know that he will just be like, uh, OK, OK, Michelle. OK, uh, I'm, I'm going to go now. I'm going to go now. It's like, well, you're going to go, but I'm already gone. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm working on it, y'all. I'm working. On it. I'm working on it, though. I'm working on it. So I want to jump back um, to something because after we come out of like Rutgers, you know, you didn't practice. You didn't go into the practicing no. of psychology, but you are doing this, and that's what I love about what you have created initially. And I found. Dude, the other day I'm cleaning out my office and I find one of your business cards from years ago called The World is My Stage. And I think that I've taken that a long time ago when I have applied that uh, to myself. But you have made this show. Do you still call it just that? Or now you have these sub shows out of The World is My Stage? How's that no, work? so originally The World is My Stage was going to be a business name. And then you know, when I started finding out that all of the business things you have to do for a business name, I was like, all right, I'm going to leave that aside. It's me, my name. I don't need to have like all this other attachment to it, you know? Um, but no, so the main show that I, that I take into schools is called You Don't Know Me Until You Know Me. And that is, you know, character-based type of show, but it's also evolved Mm -hmm. into a storytelling, uh, understanding the psychology of people, also understanding like how we can use those things that people have used against us or people have said about us, but use them as our strength. Yeah. You know, so my weirdness is my strength is what I tell people, right? The story of my pain, the things that I've been through, the sadness, my depression, my anxiety, those are also the things that I use as my strength. How, uh, how much of the characters that are inside your show mm. belong to you? Yeah, it varies. You know, sometimes when I come up with a character, I think a lot of it is I'm looking at, maybe I'm looking at a situation 
or a story that I want to bring about, right? So, uh, or an experience that happened in the life, right? So back in high school, there was a, a guy, I won't name his name, but he was, you know, harassed because he was a bigger guy. And, you know, when, but one day I walked into the locker room and they were, they, they had him down on the bench and they were like, wrapping him in black electrical tape and taking Ben Gay and shoving it all in his body everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I saw him just crying and angry. And, and I walked in, you know, but that scarred me in some ways, not as much as it scarred him, I'm sure, but scarred me seeing that being evolved to stop them. But years later, I'm creating a character that has a piece of that story in there. Mm -hmm. you know, so a lot, so a lot of my characters end up having those pieces of things that impacted me on some level, mm -hmm. and I put them and I combine them into stories. Tell us first some of the characters that you have in your show. You don't know me till you know me. Yeah. So w w the first character that I actually end up doing in my uh, presentations is character named Jermaine. Now, here's the thing: I wasn't, and I tell people I'm trying to see if I, I have the hat with me, but I, I, you know, I tell people. I was never like that rambunctious kid who was bouncing around that way because we grew up in a home with these old school Jamaican parents, immigrant parents who would never allow it. So we had to play the game with people that's like, say, you know, like we're just polite. Remember how we used to answer the phone, you know, like good, 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 good afternoon. This is the Fallon residence. To whom am I speaking? You know, and it was just like, oh, what? Light, sweet kids, and here I am, seven years old, robbing stores. Right, so like you know, so, you know, so like all this, all this like presentation to look good for people there, and so when I created the character Jermaine, it was like I got in touch with who I felt like inside. You know, it's a six-year-old boy. And sometimes people ask me, why do you do this six-year-old boy? You know, like I, I understand your other characters, but what is it about the six-year-old? And for me, I think it started at age six. So let me just do, I'm gonna do a quick little yeah, bit the six-year-old boy uh -huh. and his way and how six-year-old children process the world they see, mm -hmm. okay? So I was in my class and I said, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the puppet for which it stands, one nation under God, I'm so miserable, with liberty and justice for all. That's what I said in my teacher. My teacher yelled at me for doing that. But my mommy said to talk, it means that you're alive and that if you're silent, you might as well be dead. So I just talk all the time and never shut up. <laughs> I talk all the time because I'm super duper smart. And this kid in my class, he thinks that he said that I look like a chocolate M&M &M monkey and um, I got mad at him and then he started calling me the N-word and I don't like to be called a ninja and so I got mad at him again. I punched him in the face and I screamed out, Pokemon Go! And so now all this comes from <laughs> the idea, right, that when we were younger, we made a lot of prank calls. Yes, okay. we did. Yes. yes, we did. And the only way, and I tell people we lived in a time without caller ID or star 69. So we had to be able to be good enough to get away with those prank calls. And so I remember, remember in Bellingham, go downstairs to the phone we had back there. And we would just start like prank calling people. And I, I was obsessed with it to a sick way. You know, you were playing your piano, being diligent. I'm like, I got to make some more prank calls. <laughs> 
all the kids playing out in the street. I was like, I got my prank calls. <laughs> so like for me, that's where the voices started. You know, yeah. I was calling nursing homes and I was getting these little grannies who thought that I was their grandchild. And I was like, no, I got lost. I left home, you know, and just they were like, oh, you know, freak out. <laughs> But for me, that's how the voices actually started. And yeah. the six-year-old for me is because we underestimate mm. and we undervalue the brilliance of those little ones. Oh my God. Yeah. You know? And we know that with our niece, right? We yeah. watch the, you know, we watch our nieces and they're just like the way they process the world. Yeah. And you know, I love the fact so, you know, our sister Joy was sharing that. Um, you know, our niece, uh, Marley, was in the car and she's talking, carrying on a conversation. And her other sister, big sister, says, Sophia says to her, says, Marley, are you talking to yourself? And she's like, no, myself is talking to me. Yeah. Whole That's other deep. Yeah. It That's sure deep. Is. That's right. Whole other level. We talk about this as adults and we say things like the mind and the brain are two separate things. You don't have to explain that to Marley. She just yeah. said, myself is talking to me. <laughs> and that part right there is like, we, don't, we, right, we don't get the value of being six years old. Well, it almost like put, it turns it on his head where he says, Jermaine says, he called me the N word. And it makes everyone who's an adult laugh and says the N word is ninja. Right. But words are all ridiculous like that, right? Mm -hmm. Did it hurt him? It hurt him, right? And that is the key part of it. Like, they're feel, you know, when your feelings get hurt, it, you can replace the words. It doesn't matter. But you know what it is when someone is saying that you're not okay or you're not like us. Yeah. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Is that, does that ring true? No. Mm. No. That can't ring true. No. It, you know, it's. It's really, you know, you learn that it's the opposite of at times, you know, it's the words that have been the ones that were weaponized against me when I was younger. And I couldn't appreciate that being and all the, the weirdness that I, I tried so hard when I was younger to be like Roy, my mm -hmm. brother, to try to fit in. He naturally could walk into a group. Yeah. And everyone wanted to be near Roy. Yeah. You know, he was taller, he was handsome, you know, and it was like, oh, you know, I remember adults in the family like, oh, that Roy is so handsome. And then look at me and be like, Mikey is studious. I was like, okay, I'm going to burn down your park. <laughs> no. Okay, I'm not even going to talk about the fires. I'm not even going to talk about <laughs> Actually, that's a, that's, a good, that's a good point to talk about, though, because in the chaos, and I don't mean to take control of this, but in the no. chaos that we were growing up in, there were behaviors that all of us were doing yes. because we didn't know how to process those feelings that were so yeah. deep. Me setting fires was my way of some level of control yeah. that was happening, but some anger that was burning in me. 
Mm-hmm. And then lighting for me was a way to allow to a release to that some of that stuff that was stuck, That's you know. Cool. And and there was uh, I wish that I could understand it when I was younger. It would have saved some of that pain, but a lot of that pain was, you know, the fire was like it wasn't just about like wow, I like a pretty fire, which I did, but it was also like the idea that I could control something else being destroyed or hurt. Wow. You know, and that that is that's something that took me years to realize. You don't have to burn down a park if you have all this stuff inside that's, you know, burning inside of you, so to speak. You know, the analogy of it, you know, when you said if you had known when you were younger, all all of our circumstances, I firmly believe the blessings and those trials, they are um, uniquely designed for us. So that as we go along in our journey, our testimony can be of a blessing to somebody else. Like had it not happened, maybe the things that you are, who you are today would not resonate as deeply and as profoundly as they have and impact so many people because you had to experience those things, you know? And even with all the chaos and craziness that you still might go through today, you have to in order to be that 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 strength, that that healing balm for somebody else that you might never know of. Absolutely. So I was sitting in college three weeks before graduation. And uh you know I was I was doing very well in college and I was just it was probably a day or two after I'd been selected to be the baculord speaker. And I'm in this college class and it's on like trauma. And the the professor had put a bunch of things on a board just saying like, if any of your clients or your patients have experienced any of these things or they act out in any of these ways, you have to really pay attention. These are really indicators of trauma. Mm. And so we're all like, wanting to be psychologists and we're like all studious like oh okay and we're looking at the stuff on the board i go down that list and i'm just like setting fires lying and manipulative behaviors Mm. and i'm like oh uh, shoplifting and it's like all this stuff Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden i'm laughing in class because i think like this is like a joke she must be saying this must i thought everyone been through all this stuff and then when it got to like some of the you know, physical discipline of mm-hmm. growing up in the house that we grew up in, which was abusive, right? And wow. on that several level, so that 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 level of recognizing that, and then recognizing also that as a kid, that from another neighborhood kid that I was molested, that this was something for me at this time. Like, wow, yeah. she's talking about me, you know? Yeah. And that, and like you said, all the painful stuff. We don't see the whole map at any one time. You can't, yeah. we don't, those, the, the, the map, the puzzle, we don't get to see all of that. And so I'm there in the dorm room. I called Charlie Thiel, who was a youth pastor at the time. And, I, and I'm just crying to him and I'm telling him about all this stuff that happened. And, and I remember he just said to me, he said, Mike, I love you. God loves you. And you're not going to understand what I'm going to tell you next, but you will heal from your pain. And once you heal from that pain, you will need to talk about that pain again. Yeah. Because other people need to heal. 
Yeah. Right? And so he says this. And, and so I just go along with it, not fully understanding. But when I started doing shows, I started understanding a little more. But then there was a seminal moment of doing a presentation in a school. And I've had plenty of moments of students coming up to me. But this one girl, eighth grade girl, is absolutely devastated. And she comes up to me. She, she grabs me, hugs me, crying. And she steps back and she goes, thank you for not ending your life in college because today you just saved mine. And all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, yeah. wow, my pain yeah. is my gift. Yeah. Right? That, that's, that's it. Right. Yeah. So when you sing or when I'm on stage, that's the one thing I want. I, I want to remember that I am here because of all those things that have tried to defeat me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. That's really good. Uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, people ask me on the music end of things, how can you never really, um, deal with adults. And I was like, I do. I, I, I've conducted adult choirs and, you know, I have adult students, but there's a, um, there has been an anointing that has been placed in me specializing in young people as I feel with, with you. I think they are the ones that keep me youthful in mind. Um, they are my constant inspiration. Um, my own children are my challenges. They are my mirrors. You know this. They, they, they constantly have me looking at myself through them, which is a very hard pill uh, to swallow, but um, it all helps me to grow. These kids that you come in contact with, I was sharing with you the other day how I just don't think that the school systems are doing enough as an educator to address mental health. And now that we have hit a pandemic and we are pushing ourselves outside of it, they're all of a sudden now it's like people are starting to be um, wakened up to the idea that it's not just about the academics. We have to do something to touch on the psychology of these young people. Because to me, when your mind is messed, everything else come, falls along with that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, yep. would you, I mean, inside of your show, I've been trying, it's funny because I sent Tessin all the information this year to get you at my school, and then boom, we hit with this um, pandemic, but that just lets me know that next year will be even more of a better timing. Outside of just your show, what do you do in your personal life, um, you know, to kind of speak to this cause of mental health issue as one who has endured your own demons mm -hmm. and you talk about it ever so openly and so um, real. Um, what do you do to help these other people? Yeah. So I, I do a lot for me, a lot of writing, you know, like I, the writing part, it comes and goes, you know, like writing is like my, not blessing and curse, but really we have this love affair. It's like this long-term thing where, uh, but it's it's the helpful thing for me. So I, I'll do writing, whether it's in like a journal or writing poems, but I also in the last six or so years started writing postcards because they're shorter. You don't can't write very much on them. So I would just write things like, 
uh, you're beautiful, you're not alone, I, I'm glad you're staying on this planet. And all of this started out of my own dark space that several years ago, I was in a super dark space where I just was like, this is not feeling like I really wanna be here. But I knew I wasn't going to end my life, but I felt like this despair. And I started writing these letters to myself. And then instead of putting them away, I would go to Barnes and Noble, go to the bestseller section, teenage bestseller section, poetry section, take out books, stick these postcards in and, um, and just in hopes that if I'm feeling this way, there's gotta be other people feeling this way. And it would make me laugh just thinking like, cause I'd be, I'd, literally when I could do it, I do it like a secret mission. I act like I'm not doing anything, going to these sections, I'm looking around and I'm sticking these postcards in, but it gives me such pleasure thinking that someday somebody's gonna be turning a page to a book and come across some postcard from somebody they never met that's gonna say, you are not alone, right? And I've been so, blessed that during that I haven't seen it a bunch of times, but three times in my life now where I've been performing at a school or some organization and a person has come up to me and said, I found one of your postcards. Oh, come on, stop. Yeah. yeah. So I do this. So, so about four years ago, I'm in Massachusetts at a private school. I do this. I do the presentation. I talk about challenging people. I said, do the postcard, you know, do a postcard. And I told them about it. This girl in the front row, she's freaking out. She's looking at her friends, but she's distracting me. And then I stopped looking at her. At the end, she comes up to me and she's in tears. And she just goes, were you at the Cambridge Barnes and Noble last year? And no kidding, sis, the only time I've ever been there. And I said, I was there. She's like, I found your postcard on the day that I got out of the hospital for my eating disorder and I was planning on killing myself and your postcard told me I was not alone. Yeah, man, that, that right there. And so the part for me, right? Like I think about all those things that people have thrown out as my rope. Yeah. My thing of saying, you're not alone. Yeah. That this dark space right now, this is going to be used for your goodness that you do in the world. Right. And so, like, I see this girl and I'm like, I don't even ask, like, what are the chances anymore? I right. just realize that this this life is greater than our knowledge of understanding of how things connect. You know, that's good. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, man. The creator is awesome. Awesome. All four. The creator's good. You know, we grew up in a very, in a very religious household. But when, um, I think that when we got older, and I'm speaking about you and I, that there was a, um, another level of recognizing spirituality outside of religiosity, and that to me is key, the spirit, and. Um, that when you're in tune with that, then you can live as the Christian, the, the Christ-like, the anointed in the footsteps of Jesus as uh, we were coming up. And I remember mom and dad, especially mom, was always saying, you know, it doesn't matter what happens with you all. I know that I have prayed enough and I'm paraphrasing for you all. And I have taught you the way. And the Bible talks about, you know, a child will come back. You will always come back 
to it, that the foundation, the rooting that's in us. And I feel it just in, you know, your life, your testimonies. It's like, I know you, but I'm still getting to know you after yeah. all these years. And I'm just so overwhelmed and blessed by the impact that you are having on this world. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't, I, you're right. That whole thing, right. The difference between the spirituality as well versus the religiosity. Uh, you know, we grew up in a very religious home, right. And at times it was more about the religiousness, the, the religiosity part of, of going to church, of, of looking at people on a Sunday, mowing their lawn and saying, Oh, oh boy, they don't have Jesus. You know, it, it was, it, and then when, and I had to go through a phase where I became extremely and pushed you away, you know, where, you know, in my, in my junior year or sophomore year of high school, where I had this awakening, but it really turned people off. And I couldn't understand the balance until years later to realize that to be a reflection of the creator. However you want to understand that concept, to understand, though, that you are a small piece yeah. in this large life, but you are a really important piece in this large life, right? Yeah. That, it, that that part for me, I could let go of the religious part of it now. Yeah, I, could, I don't need to enter a church sanctuary to understand that when I see somebody, that I'm seeing the person who is in pain and needs to heal. Right? And that's that's what it is for me. I've learned to be able to just understand that most of us are just fearful. We don't think it's fear. We think like all the things we do to protect us from this fear. But we're ultimately just feeling this level of I want to be loved, accepted, and I don't want to be hurt. You know? Yeah. But it was so important to yeah. uh, to want to have this approval from mom and dad. And I think that, that that's probably one of the things that like must've snapped in me too, as I got older, that said, um, I really don't care about having approval from anybody because I recognized what that took, what that took from me. That mm, worked mm. sense. Like all I knew now was, I'm gonna be the best Michelle I could be. I don't care what anybody else thinks and I'm gonna do it this way and they'll either like me or they won't right like period um, and that was inclusive of of mom and dad uh coming up because it was just it was just um because we because you felt we we bought i think we felt that we couldn't be good enough for them ultimately on that level there was a way that uh, until i went through that through that phase where it was Kind of scary. I was the person I tell people I was the person when I got to that phase in high school, you saw me walking down the hall towards you, you turn around, you walk the other way because I'm about to preach. I'm about to leave, you know, tracks, Bible tracks in the bathroom. And, you know, that, <laughs> you know, so that was all a part of me. But it's not that different than me getting on stage now and being passionate. And not caring if people are going to try to laugh at me or to make fun of me that when I feel that that's what I meant, like I am my father's son, like I am convicted to be true to me. Yeah. And that 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 part, like I've never been good at being a part of a group. I had a friend that, you know, you know, that said to me last year, uh, you know, you you seem to want to uh, ha have a cult following. And I'm like, if you know me. 
you don't know. I don't want anybody following me around. I'll just lead them into a bunch of circles to make jokes about it. You know, I'm like, I'm yeah. not the person that's going to be, yeah, follow me, follow the way I do that. It's always been something, though, for me that because I couldn't follow groups, I had to be okay with being my strange self in a world that really was trying to pull me, whether it was uh, as a male, whether it was as a black guy, you know, who are you? You know, we had our whole stuff growing up in Tom's River, you know, being one of few blacks there. And so there's all this stuff that we had to fight. We were the only black people. <laughs> Along with Angela and her brother Grasper, that was it. We were it. <laughs> there were a few more, but yes, yes. Yeah. There was a guy yeah. named Bobby Brown that was there too. And uh and who else? I don't remember who else. There were other people though, right? Oh, look at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. That's for next time. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh, though, Mike, I, I love you. There's so, I, I can always say this because I never know where the conversations are going to go. And I love the organic just feel of just moving through like this. And um, every time before I do one of these shows, I just ask God that if but for one, may that person be healed, encouraged, and their life changed. And we give it back to you because really and truly it, it ain't about either of us and what we do. But mm -hmm. I'm so immensely, immensely proud of what it is that you're doing and the footprints that you are leaving in this world, the lives that you are changing, um, the people that you are coming in contact with. And because of the message, because of all that you have endured, endure will endure the blessings that you've had, have and will have that make you you and living into your true authentic self, um, people are going to be just completely changed by that. What is next for you? What do you want to do? You know, a lot of that question, a lot of what is next is more the evolution of wherever I am, right? So I, I don't necessarily just say, okay, I'm going to move on to this or move on to that. It's more like, where can I go on a deeper level with what I'm doing? You know, so even with the presentation years ago when it started, I would just jump from character to character without ever divulging anything about me until a student said to me, you are so cruel because you come here you manipulate our emotions and then you leave. And we don't even know if you understand anything about what these characters are feeling. And I was like, what? You think I'm just making that up? And it really changed me when she said that because I was like, I have to be more transparent in letting people see like those scars, mm -hmm. those things, you know? And, and, and I've learned how to do that better now than to just leave an audience. You know, we grew up in a church, so we, we were used to people, you know, like having ministers make us laugh and in the next second make us just cry and yeah. be ripped apart and convicted and all this stuff and, and healing, but all of it. And I learned that in the world that's not used to that, that's a tough go. That's a, so I've learned how to be gentle in that healing, more gentle than I was in the past um, and to help people to figure out 
how can we be more honest about our vulnerabilities? Being honest about vulnerabilities. I don't like to be vulnerable. Ooh, no, not at all. But that is, that's real right there. And um, I think the first thing is learning how to be honest to ourselves so that we can be honest with other people. Um, you know, you've made some huge steps into, you know, talking and dealing with some very intimate and personal issues in your own life so that they would transfer and translate into these shows in a more authentic manner. And, um, you know, kudos in doing that, man, I'm, I'm, I'm still working. I ain't there yet, but I'm attempting to get there. So listen, we got to wrap up. We yeah. definitely need like a, a a part two on this second season. I'm going to have to bring you back in. Thank you so much for uh, taking this time. I never would have thunk that I would have been uh, thunk. And I said that just the way <laughs> uh, that I would be over here interviewing my brother, you know, but it just, it really does. I got to, I need another word for proud. But that's what I am. I just feel so completely honored to have you in my life that, you know, the creator ordained it as such that we would share this time and space with one another. You know, yeah. I love you so I much. I love you. I love you. I mm. love you so much. And to all of the listeners, the people who tuned in, Musies, I thank you so very much. I'm looking forward to uh, getting together with you all in the next two weeks. Until then, blessed be. Peace. The